sure they all come back unless you want to pay her extra money and then she might, you know. As she's doing that this morning, then we, today we start our new sermon series, A Life That Matters. We still feel unsettled in a world that's reeling and everything's changing. Our call is to get back to normal, even though we know normal is no longer the true goal. At least normal the way the world's been. Both in us and outside of us. There's too much we need to leave behind to be able to start fresh. Too much that we need to be able to overcome and still do even when it seems harder to do it nowadays. We get in our routines and our habits, and we've been in those routines and habits now for almost two years. It's going to be hard to break out of those and get back to the places in which we were once invested and called and served. But maybe it's been useful for us to reexamine our practices, not just binge watch on Netflix every show that came out, but our practices and our patterns in order to move into the new world that's coming in to being around us in this opportunity. So what would this new understanding of discipleship look like is the question we're going to be asking. What are some of the markers that can help us to grow into a life that matters individuals as a community of faith and transformation? So guided by the gospel text for the next three weeks in the Sundays in November, we're discovering three elements out of many that go into making up a life that matters. And this week we find ourselves in Mark 12 with everything she had. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Gracious God, as we search out this understanding of what it means to have a life that matters and as we redevelop that, as we relook at it and re-examine it to, to fit into where we are now in these new days, speak to us from these Stories that Jesus is telling to his disciples as he observes what happens in the temple. How can they speak to us? What do they mean to us today? And how can we live out a life that really matters to you? Speak to the words that I have to say and even the things that I may not say that we hear in our hearts this morning from the power of the Holy Spirit that we now invite to be with us. And may all that we do and all that we say this morning be pleasing to you and challenging to us. And everybody here at home and everybody here in the sanctuary said, Amen. I invite you to follow along with you version. And if everything worked out okay, there's actually some fill in the blanks this time. It's the weirdest thing in the world. I cannot figure it out. But it may look the right way, and I hope it does. And if it doesn't, well, then it doesn't. So when we first look at this passage from Mark 12, it seems like there are two separate stories that are going on here. But sometimes the great headings in our English Bible hinder us from seeing some necessary connections. Like if you have your Bible in front of you or even look at you version and different versions of anything, what it has is it has this break between Mark 12:40 and Mark 12:41. And there are captions there like the widow's offering or a poor widow's contribution or an act of faithfulness. And it prompts us to read verses 41 through 44 as a separate, distinct story than what comes before. But what if this story was more than just a story about faithful giving? 
Yes, the widow put in everything that she had. Yes, this woman is in an act of giving. Acts unselfishly, even if unwisely. Yes, this unnamed character did what she thought she needed to do. And yes, Jesus does make the, her act of giving the point of his teaching. And, and while he may not have concluded his observation by saying this, so should you give all your possessions, he does seem to imply the comparison and the idea to those who gave only some of their abundance. But what if this story is more than about that? What if it can mean something to us too beyond that? This is what I want to explore today. So we need some background and some context before we can really understand what's going on here. After a positive encounter with one scribe in, earlier in Mark 12, right before this, Jesus challenges the scribes' teachings about the relationship of King David to the figure of the Messiah they've been talking about. Expectations about the Messiah were commonplace, right? White horse, white knight, comes in, saves the day. And then his tirade against the scribes changes. And he offers a harsh critique of their pride. He begins in verse 38, that they like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets as they were desiring the best seats, the greetings of honor in the Agora, which is the common plaza. And in honor and shame society, desire for honor was not unusual. Even Jesus himself expected himself, himself at certain times, like in Mark 6, 4. But the slander of their practices becomes more serious the more he talks. As Jesus questioned their economic practices and cheating widows out of their homes. He says in verse 40, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Now, the New Revised Standard Translation, they devour widows' houses is unclear. We're not even sure what that really means. Did the scribes find ways, legitimate or otherwise, take houses away? Or did traveling scribes use up the resources from widows' homes? And that's why apparently Mark wants us to see a connection between their activity and the following story, see? in which Jesus observed a poor widow. So they're connected. The interesting part is, is that Mark uses the word widow, say widow, only in two stories, and they're both right here. Nowhere else in his book does he use the word widow, the Greek word that's used here. Chera. And the scribes and Jesus were in tension throughout Mark's gospel in the beginning. Oftentimes, the scribes mistrusted Jesus' various activities. In return, Jesus questioned them. And his disciples questioned them and the influence of their scribal teachings. And as his mission continued, Jesus recognized their antagonism more and more, predicting that they would 
reject him in Mark 8, and then also eventually condemn him to death, which they did in Mark 10. So Jesus' public critique in Mark 12 is nothing new. It fits into this larger pattern of conflict that Mark portrayed between Jesus and the scribes, the teachers of the law. Then this betrayal is only one exception to this theme. One individual scribe who agreed with Jesus over the greatest commandment, which is to do what? To love God and to love neighbor. On this, they could agree. And so Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And many rich people threw in large amounts. And juxtaposed with this, with the scandalous shiny scribes, was this widow. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. So she too becomes an example of Jesus' teaching. A positive object lesson. Someone to observe She was unnamed, and Jesus didn't address her directly. But Jesus' public ministry in Mark, interestingly enough, did not emphasize the economically poor. That wasn't his mission. This is not Luke's gospel. That is all over Luke's gospel. That's not Mark. In fact, the specific language of the poor, say poor, of the poor was not even used in Mark often. It's not his focus. And so the first time that Jesus expressed a direct interest was in a conversation with a wealthy individual who desired to know the more, what to make, how to make a more meaningful life for himself, right? Mark 10. What do I do to gain a more meaningful life? And Jesus responded clearly. This is in Mark. Sell what you own and give your money to who? The poor. But it's unusual for Mark to talk about this. But you see, the man couldn't do that. Remember? He went away. He said, I can't can't do it. Anything else. Anything else but that. But here, this poor widow did just that, see? She gave it not all as a scribe, but as a poor woman. And Jesus' observation about the poor widow who sacrificed the only economic resources she had left was a natural progression from Jesus' critique of the scribes and the way they lived their lives and the way that they led, see, and their abuse of the widow's homes. So in light of the context of the continual conflict between Jesus and the temple leaders, this story was likely a common... A condemn, a condemn, a condemn this, I can't even say it. Thanks. My old stutter comes up. Too many C's. Condemnation instead of a commendation. Try to get those two together. To condemn instead of to commend. What I mean by that is he wasn't so much highlighting the woman but instead he is highlighting the way the treasury of the scribes consumed the means of the poor. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus did not 
criticize Temple directly here. Rather, he challenged the leadership through this to practice more just ways. He's not really focusing on her. He's just trying to show them. As several prophets before him had done, like Jeremiah and Malachi. So what now? What do you do with this text then if it, if it goes a different direction? Is this really an inherent invitation to give more than you can afford? That's exactly what happens. She gives more than she can afford. Wait, what? Is that really the message we want to proclaim? I want you to give more than you can afford so that you can't do anything else or even pay your bills just to give it to God. No. We've heard the stories of unscrupulous TV evangelists, right? And these poor widows, they get cleaned out because they're watching the show and they send in all their money for the blessing, right? To get the blessing. Hoping for some sort of connection. So we're pretty clear that isn't the kind of ministry we ought to be supporting. So that can't be it. That can't be what the meaning of this is. It doesn't make any sense with what's going on. But the widow still gave. The widow still gave, and we can't lose that lesson from us. So we have to understand the story from her perspective, too. That even while Jesus may be critiquing the financial strains religious leaders and their institutions placed upon the impoverished, the widow gave. She didn't know anything that Jesus was doing. She just gave. It happened to be the lesson of giving that was happening. Maybe it's out of a sense of obligation, perhaps. Maybe out of a sense of hope. See, one of the things I learned about ancient Israel is the poor were not required to give. Did you know that? No, Shelley looks very like, I have no idea. No idea. Right. The poor were not required to give. They simply did so because they believed in the goodness of the temple, the goodness of its leaders, the need for it to remain. Maybe she knew that once she gave it all, she would need to rely on the resources from the scribes and the temples to provide for her. We heard it in our study of James, right? To care for the orphan and the widow, that kind is the purest kind of religion, right? That's their job. Maybe it would hopefully touch the minds and hearts of her neighbors in her village in her time of greatest need that she was faithful. Perhaps Jesus knew that some of the scribes in charge would not carry out their end of the bargain. Yet he also knew there were other scribes who agreed with Jesus and the ultimate commandment, right? To love God and love your neighbor. Perhaps that Jesus knew that this poor widow would be okay, so he wasn't really focused on what was happening with her. But there seems to be something more profound even than this that's going on here, at least in Mark's point of view. Maybe it didn't happen exactly like this. Maybe Jesus didn't go from warning about the scribes and their way of life to plopping himself down next to the offering plate to see what was giving, who was giving what. Maybe Mark selected these two events in the ministry and life and put them together side by side for a reason. Maybe you want us to consider what it looks like to have a life that really matters. You see, on one hand, we have beware the scribes, right? 
They are devouring the widow's houses. And on the other hand, we have she has put everything she had, all she had to live on. Something of a contrast here, right? Some redefining of the kind of life we're supposed to live. This one or this one? One group lived for self, right? They wanting and the hoarding, the grabbing hold of everything they could get their hands on as much as they possibly could, regardless of the collateral damage that it caused around them and hurt. And the other gave it away. Lived for others and not self. Regardless of harm to the self that would be caused by this level of generosity, she wasn't concerned with. Here's something else to add to this moment of which you might not be aware of either. So don't stay shocked, Shelley. Okay, here we go. These offering boxes were not hidden away and brought out for the act of worship to be passed discreetly around the assembled worshipers like our offering plates. They just go around and then they go away. No, these boxes sat out in public courts as a way of having access all the time to giving, even if you weren't worthy of entering into the inner courts like this widow would be because she couldn't go into the inner court. She's a woman. And no, these weren't simply the plates. This is really funny. If you think about this, haven't you ever wondered why these plates have this little thing in the middle of them? It isn't just to look pretty. These plates have that little thing in the middle of them because what happens if you don't have that little thing in the middle of these plates? Coins make noise. That's, like a, that's a good phrase. Coins make noise. Nobody wants to have their coins being heard instead of their paper going into the plate. Unless it's little children, then we applaud that. They were, they were, they were not padded with inside to mute the sound of coins landing on metal. But over here, right? Oh, you're a cheapskate. Nor were they boxes with narrow slits where you could slide your envelope in the darkness and just be able to put it in there and then just go on your way. These were large metal trumpet-like receptacles just like these into which you could pour your temple money. You ever done one of those coin things where you drop all your coins in it and it does all that? Well, that's what these things are like. So you dropped all your money. And of course, they didn't have paper money, so it was all coins. But the interesting part was you, could, they, they would, you pour your temple money in there and it causes a clinking and a clanking that would ring across the entire temple court, right? Now, you go to try to find coins nowadays to do anything with coins whatsoever. Like, you know, I want a bunch of coins I could shake. Well, I looked at my house, first of all, in that little thing we put all the coins in. It was empty. We got rid of those, apparently, and never put any more coins in it. Not a dime in my house. Not a dime in my house. Buddy, can he spare a dime? No, apparently not. Not a dime. I had to find this in my drawer at work. Now imagine about 5,000 more of these, and you might get a better understanding of what that might sound like. Clinking and clanking across the entire court drawing attention to anybody who's in the area when you drop all of those coins, all of them. No doubt someone aimed their clankers in just the right way to make the loudest noise possible. 
See what I gave? Look what I gave. Hoping to wow the bystander with their wealth and their supposed generosity by just taking a whole bag of coins and just dropping it in. Look at me. Yet Jesus ignores the noisemakers, draws attention to the faint plink of a tiny copper coin dropping into a box. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. He says, This poor widow has put in more than all the clinkers and the clankers in the entire courtyard. Now you know Matthew... The tax collector would have had his calculator out at this point, or his abacus or something like that, trying to figure out and doing the math. Jesus, the math is here. I mean, in a rough estimate, she contributed something on the scale of 0.000002% of what some of those guys just dumped into the treasury. Now, come on, Jesus. You could say that she had a higher risk disposing of her assets that she could ill afford to part with, but you can't say she put in more than, than they did, can you? Come on, Jesus. And what does he say? They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. Jesus looked him in the eye and said, She put more in than all of them combined. More, Matthew, more than all of them combined. Because they put in what they weren't going to use anyways. They put in their excess, their leftovers, the interest on the interest. Whereas she put in her whole life. Even the part she had to have to live. And our translation says her whole living. But the, and that works, but the actual word is bios. Say bios. 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 And from where do we get a word out of that, which means the whole life? We get that word, and what do you think? What word comes from that word? That, and what, what's the whole? Thank you. The study of what? Life. Life. The study of life. Bios. Her whole life. She put in her whole life. And there's something here about the life that we're called to live as followers of Jesus, as disciples, you see. And that is that we are to hold on to our own life lightly. See. To hold on to our own life lightly. Yes, our stuff too. Our livelihood as well. We are to hold all of our stuff lightly, but even our own lives. They aren't our possessions to hoard, but to give away. To give away as a blessing, you see. To give away as an act of gratitude. To give away in service. 
We're called and invited to be set free from the bondage to our stuff and ourselves, to live free and unencumbered by our own lives and able to embrace the constant hope of eternity. This is what Jesus is talking about. And Matthew's eyes and the other disciples were spinning when they heard this. We're called to live by a different scale now. By a different mass. Where two plus two doesn't equal four. But there's more to it. This quote caught me as I closed this morning in, from the A.W. Tozer, a renowned Christian author, who made this observation. He said, Before the judgment seat of Christ, my service will be judged not by how much I have done, but by how much I could have done. Not by how much I have done, but by how much I could have done. In God's sight, my giving is measured not by how much I have given, but how much I have left after I made my gift. Not by its size is my gift judged, but by how much of me there is in it. No man gives it all until he has given all. This is the lesson Jesus is trying to teach by looking at the scribes and looking at the widow. And where is the life that really matters and how do we live that? It's by living lightly, my friends the things that we have but holding Jesus and each other as neighbors tightly so that our needs of the neighbors that are around us need to come first over our own needs if I had the ability to be able to do it I would have given you all a dime this morning if you could find enough dimes to be able to give you not much. I couldn't even find one. You probably don't have a whole pocket full of dimes with you right now. But this was what the widow had to give. Every bit of it. Just a dime. And Jesus said that this dime was more than the entire treasury put in by the scribes and the Pharisees. She gave everything she had. May we also give everything that we have to Jesus in our lives. Amen. I'll have to find that dime for next service. I've only got one dime. So as we gather this morning and as we uh, come together for communion and as we think about what it means to give everything we have, Jesus gave his everything that he had. He poured out his life for us. He didn't hold back and say, well, let me just teach you on the earth. Let me tell you these great stories and let me just do some of it. 
he gave it all. Why did he give us it all? Because the commandment is to love God and love your neighbor. And he showed that he was loving God by giving up his life and by serving all of us. There wasn't a thing that he wouldn't do to help someone else. Especially those in need. And he had no qualms against saying the people who had everything should give it. And his righteous anger was poured out on them. But would his righteous anger be poured on us too? Do we have so much that there are others who don't have enough and we continue to get more while they still have less? At this table, everyone is invited to experience the more of what Jesus has to offer. His body, His blood. As He sat with the the disciples in the upper room at that last supper, He was telling them how much He loved them and what He was about to do. They would have preferred that He stayed there with them. But He knew that the greater thing to do was to go. To suffer, to die, be resurrected, because only in that would He truly know the abundance of what it means. So come for this abundance this morning. Come for this forgiveness. Come for this saying thanks, this remembrance of what He did for each one of us. May we give Him everything that we have because He has given us everything that He has. Let us pray. Gracious God, this bread... And this juice, may they be for us reminders of the great sacrifice given for us. Pour your spirit on them and on us who gather here to know your presence as we come as your community to find forgiveness and faith as we live out the great commandment to love you and to love our neighbors. As you gave us everything that you have, May we now give you everything that we have. All our brokenness, all our resources, everything both good and bad. May we give it over to you in these moments now. Amen. The body of Christ, broken, given in love for each one of us. The blood of Christ shed, poured out and spilt, for our forgiveness to be bought. So I'm going to invite you in in a moment to come forward and to grab your elements and take those back to your seat and be ready to partake of those together. And we'll all do it all at once. And we'll come by these aisles. And if you would mask up while you're making this move, that would be great. And return back to your seats. Take your masks off like we're doing. And pick these up, and all four sections will do the same things. So let's come forward to receive these elements this morning. Those of you at home, get your elements ready as well.
go ahead and stand up. We can pretend that we're together in a line waiting to receive. If you're at home, pretend you're with us because you are in spirit, if not in body. Take your bread. You might want to dip it a little bit into your juice just to make it a little softer. The body of Christ broken and given for you in love. The blood of Christ shed for you, for me, in love. His blood was spilt. There it is. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we come before you this morning, let's remember all that you gave to us. May we then be able to give it to all those around us as well. Lord, pour into us. Let us be the widow. Let us be the one who gives everything that we have to you. In Jesus Christ's name, everybody both here and at home said together, Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, you can sing it again. Let me get myself situated. Sing some things. words we leave today. Oh God, may you graciously pour out your blessings on us as we leave this place. And as your gifts surround us, despite our abundance, help us to see the widow's gift. For we long to give as she did, gladly giving all that she had, realizing all we have is a gift from your hand. Help us loosen our hands, giving to the work of this church and the world on your behalf and its people. For in freely giving to you, we gain the opportunity to live abundant lives. May we remember that generosity is about how we hold the stuff of this life lightly, even as we hold people in Christ tightly. And everybody both here and at home said together, Amen. Welcome back. Promise 